You may recall that and I are preaching through 2 Timothy, and today we continue that. And as we read today, I want you to listen for the centrality of Jesus Christ in this text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you and confess and agree that our hope is only Jesus. Would you show us Jesus this morning through your word? Would you make his grace and peace and love more real to us, more known to us this morning? Speak to your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in Uganda, we would go on safari. And you have your lions and your elephants and your giraffes, and those are really cool. But one of the funniest animals, I think, is the Jackson hartebeest. And it's like a deer antelope kind of thing. And it's, it's about, I don't know, about this tall to its back. And kind of a reddish hue. It has a long face like a horse. And, uh, yeah, why the long face, Mr. Jackson Hartebeast? So, we'll, yeah, but, and he has uh, antlers that kind of do different things, but ultimately will point backwards. So, very uh, interesting creature. But the funny thing about this is he has a very bad memory. He will forget things pretty quickly. So much so that he will see a lion and everybody starts running from the lion, so he's running, and then he just stops because he forgot why he was running. <laughs> and, and he will just start eating grass. Surprise, there's any of these left in the world. Um, but that, that's the Jackson hartebeest. They're, they get chased, they forget why they're running, and then they just stop. And that's what... Uh, Paul doesn't want Timothy to do this morning. He doesn't want Timothy to forget. He wants him to remember Jesus Christ. As Timothy is running the race of ministry here in Ephesus, the temptation is to forget. But, but Paul says, no, no, Timothy, you must remember Jesus Christ. For you see, Timothy is dealing with those who are turning away. They're teaching false doctrine. They, they're practicing sinful behavior. And they're even opposing Timothy. And that's just within the church, let alone the culture that they live in. And so as he's dealing with all of this, it could be easy to forget Jesus 
and trust in techniques or different programs or, or just to flee and run away. But Paul says, no, Timothy, you must remember Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord, the center of everything we do. He's the center of creation. He's the center of our theology. He's the center, the center, let's be clear there, the center of God's Word. He's the center of all we do. So we must remember Him. But we also are tempted to forget, like the Jackson Heart of Beast. It's easy to forget and trust in programs and methods, to get busy with life, to get consumed by politics or ensnared by sin. But the message of this text is that we, like Timothy, must remember Jesus Christ. And we do this because he is the unbound word. The unbound word. Look at verse 9. I love Paul's turn of phrase here. He says, for, um, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul is bound, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Paul is here saying he willingly suffers for the gospel so that it might be proclaimed because he knows this message cannot be shut up. It cannot be stopped. He, in Philippians uh, 1, 12, Philippians is a prison epistle. That means Paul was in prison when he wrote it. He also gives us a similar um, perspective on the, the power of God's word to go forth, that it cannot be stopped. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? He's in prison. And what has that done? It's served to advance the gospel. He says, how far has it gone? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so we see that even if Paul's in prison, that doesn't stop the word of God from going forth. There is no law, there is no government, there is no imprisonment that can bind it. It is unbound. It is free to move throughout the entire world. And it has. Chrysostom puts it this way. Chrysostom is the 4th century archbishop of Constantinople. He says this, But now God has made us such that nothing can subdue us. For our hands are bound, but not our tongue. Since nothing can bind the tongue but cowardice and unbelief. Where these are not, though you fasten chains upon us, the preaching of the gospel is not bound. So it's, it, it's unbound. But what is the content of this unbound word? We get that in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus Christ? Well, he is risen from the dead. He is the offspring of David. Risen from the dead and the offspring of David. And so if he's the offspring of David, that means he was long ago promised. This is not God's, Jesus 
coming is not God's plan B or C. Like, well, you know what? I was really messing up back then. Let's change it up. No. He has long been promised. How long has he been promised? Before the foundation of the world. Our first mention of Jesus the Messiah in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. Think about that. From the moment they sin, God says, I will provide a redeemer. And the rest of scripture is about that redeemer. And so he has promised, and, and it's captured here in the prophecy of David, the offspring of David, coming. And so this also means that he is truly human as well as divine. He came as an actual man and God to deal with the sin of the world. So all of this uh, refers to the person of Christ or who he is. But the resurrection, the risen Lord, risen from the dead, refers to his work. He rose from the dead because he was crucified, dead and buried. He died and rose again so that he might bring forgiveness for sin and new life to all who would believe in him. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel, his person and work, who he is and what he has done. And it's the message about him that cannot be stopped. Nothing can stop it. Not a war. Um, there is a, a man, he's a German. His dad growing up was a doctor and didn't believe in God. There was no prayer in the house. They grew up atheist. And in 1945, he was drafted into the German army at the age of 16. He had six weeks of training and was sent to the front lines in Munich, where his um, group of soldiers, I'm not sure how big, were there to stop an American armored division, an American tank division, with small arms and grenade launchers. And as he heard the tanks rolling towards him in that field as a 16-year-old, he the terror in his heart and the, his fear of death became too much. He remembered that a school girlfriend of his had given him a pocket New Testament. And there on the battlefield, he takes it out and reads John 16.33. In the world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And there on the battlefield, he found faith in Christ. Why? Because he read God's word. It is unbound. Nothing can stop it from moving forward. Do we believe the word of God is unbound? Do we believe that nothing can stop it from going forth? Or have we forgotten that Jesus is at the center of the word of God? And that he will be proclaimed among the nations. You see, just as death could not hold Jesus, as our text says, neither can anything hold the word of God from being proclaimed throughout the world. The message will get out. The question is, 
Is he going to use us? Oh, is he going to use us to get that message out? Now, he has used those who have stammered in speech, like Moses, who were fearful, like Elijah. He's even used those who have committed adultery and murder, like David and Paul. And he can use you because you have remembered Jesus. And the forgiveness of sins and the new life that he brings. But remember, it is God's word that is not bound. It, not you. You are bindable, as it were. It's not you that is unbound, but rather God's word. Too often, our focus is to get ourselves unbound. But rem rather, we must remember it is God's word which is unbound. And so we should remember Jesus Christ in his word, which means we need to know his word. We need to study it, memorize it. It needs to be the center of our ministry. And so we need to remember Jesus Christ as found in God's word so that we might proclaim, because it is unbound. But not only is Jesus the center of the, un of the unbound word, he is on an unstoppable mission. He's on an unstoppable mission. Can't stop, won't stop. There's a song or something. But um, Look at verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they, may all, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, what is the fuel of Paul's work? That is, what is part of the motivation for Paul to get out there as a missionary? And it's, interestingly, this doctrine of election. Well, who are the elect? Well, that is, uh, the elect are those that Christ will save, in the, bring them from death to life. Or as Ephesians puts it, they are the ones predestined before the foundation of the world by God to know Jesus and his saving work. In our passage, they're described like this. They are the ones who obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, all the way to eternal glory. So they believe now and they believe forever and receive eternal glory. Now some say, if this doctrine of election is true, that is, Christ will save a people for himself and certain people. Why would I even bother evangelizing? Why would I bother going out, telling people about Jesus when God's going to do it anyways? Well, Paul turns that question on his head. He says, if I know Christ is going to do it, then I need to be out there participating in his mission. Because maybe it's me he's going to use to bring some to faith in Christ. Maybe my ministry will have some fruit. But that is what drives him because he knows Christ has a people he wants to save. And he goes out. And he's willing to risk everything 
on that mission because it's unstoppable. People will believe. If we, it's funny because this isn't the first time this doctrine of election is the motivation or part of the motivation for evangelism. If you look at Acts 18, 9 through 11, you see that Paul's in Corinth not having a good time. But Jesus shows up to Paul and says this, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed six months and a year teaching the word of God among them. Jesus says, I have people in this city who need to hear the word of God so that they can believe. I have people. Go, Paul. Stay. Now, the interesting thing about the doctrine of election is it's meant for our power for evangelism and our comfort. But it's a doctrine that, that is from the view of God. We don't know who's elect. You, you don't go around seeing a blue dot on their forehead. That one's elect right there. You don't know. You only know when they believe, right? That, that, they, that they are Christians. And so this, God knows though, and that's why God is orchestrating and sending people around the world on an unstoppable mission. Because Christ's mission goes forth through the proclamation of his word about Christ. If we look at Romans 10, we'll see that. Uh, Paul says this, 10 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is the means by which Christ saves people, is the proclamation of his word. Because it's about him. It's about the salvation he offers. People will believe because Christ has ordained it so. There's a pastor in Athens, Greece, who runs a, a ministry to the, all the migrants and immigrants and refugees that have come to Athens, Greece from different parts of the world. But those include uh, Afghanistan, Persia, Eritrea, Ghana, among many others. And so he's serving them. And one day a group of men comes and says to him, do you know we're Muslim? Now, they're there because he had fed and clothed other Muslims that they knew. And so they're like, well, let's go talk to this guy. So they go and they say, do you know we're Muslim? He's like, no. And they're like, what do you believe about the Quran? And he says, well, I don't know. He hadn't read the Quran. He doesn't know. That's what he said. He goes, but I do know this. God loves you. And then he quotes John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have an everlasting life. And a few of the men cried because they had never heard of the love of God before. That concept was new to them. And many of the men that day began attending a Bible study. Later they would confess Jesus as Lord 
and be baptized in the church. You see, Christ's mission is unstoppable. Not even geography can stop it. You see, these men lived in a country where there's little hope of them hearing a, the true presentation of the gospel. But that didn't stop God because he brought them all the way to Athens, Greece so that a, a pastor of a ministry could preach the gospel to them. Geography doesn't stop Christ's mission. Governments cannot stop his mission. In China in the 40s when they kicked the missionaries out, Everyone said, oh no, Christianity in China will go down. But when researchers were allowed back in in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, what did they find? The, the Christians in China had skyrocketed far more than they believed. Why? Because Christ's mission is unstoppable. You can't make a law against it. It's going to go forth. He will save a people for himself. And so we see time, money, geography, language barrier. Nothing is going to stop the mission of Christ from going forward. He died to save a people and they will be saved. Let's be part of that mission. Now it's not easy. I mean, Paul himself says here he endured imprisonment. In other passages, he talks about all that he has endured. It's not a fun thing. No one wants that. But the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth suffering to see someone obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus? To see one sinner repent, come to know Jesus, and have their lives transformed? Is it worth it? I think it is. Paul thought it was. Because this is about Jesus, the center of everything. It's not easy, though, and it's not a small task, for God's mission is for the whole world to know him. Are we willing to go out to this world? Are we willing to go out into a broken and hurting world? Some of you, we don't even, I mean, it, the broken, hurting world is all around us. We don't even have to leave our country. Though some are called to do so, and we should. And some people don't even have to leave their own home. They live with the hurt and the, and the heartbreak among them, praying. But we're called to be part of the mission. And so we need to remember Jesus Christ who came to make this mission possible. And he gives us his spirit to go out and do it. But we will not do it unless we see the beauty of seeing a sinner come to faith in Christ. Because that's why Christ came. Christ came, as he, Paul says to Timothy, Christ came to save sinners. And we see the beauty in that, that that's Christ's aim. Then we might think about enduring for his mission. In the meantime, though, how about this? How about we just pray for one. Pray for one. Pray that God would give you one person in the next month that you can share the gospel with. Just one. 
Pray God. Pray that God would use you to, to proclaim his unbound word on his unstoppable mission. Now, we're, we do proclaim his unbound word because it's part of Christ's unstoppable mission. But Christ also gives us an unshakable hope. An unshakable hope. In verses 11 through 13, we see a, a trustworthy saying. And the, it, it points us to the unshakable hope that nothing can separate us. Can, nothing can separate the elect from the love of Christ that, and that they will receive an eternal inheritance. So the elect have eternal glory and then this will be true of the elect. And the saying goes, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Romans 6, 5 through 8 says this. For we have been united with him in a death like his. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin if we have died with christ we believe that we also will live with him we know that christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him so if we have died with christ we believe we will also live with him that is we have died to sin died to the old man died to the old self and have the spirit and new life. And that's an eternal life as well. It cannot end. If we have died, we will live. If we endure, we also will reign with him. Matthew, in Matthew 10, Jesus says this. Matthew 10, 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. This endurance is not hoping for your best life now, as they say, as one says. Rather, it is a day-by-day -day trusting Christ in the midst of whatever comes. Knowing that a better thing is coming knowing that he will bring it. And, and the elect live for the wills of this passage. If we have died with him, it's hard to confess your sin. We will live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. We trust, we have a hope that Christ will do these things. Now, Dr. Dr. Martha Myers is a missionary. She served in Yemen. She served there for about a quarter of a century, and she was a medical practitioner there. She worked in a hospital. But she also traveled around to different areas around the region, uh, providing inoculations for children, as well as uh, treating the sick. And she died penniless because she gave much of what she had to the poor. 
Now, she died when a gunman entered the, the hospital and shot her. Now, why did the gunman do that? Because in her role as a medical practitioner, she got to know this lady and shared Christ with her. And that lady happened to be this guy's wife. And so he planned this murder for months and ended up d doing it. But she endured to the end. Her hope was not in now, but in the wills of this passage that we will live, we will reign. Her trust was in Christ. She had an unshakable hope. Nothing in this world, she, she didn't have much. She could have had so much more as a doctor from a financial standpoint, from a comfort standpoint. But her hope was in Christ, and so therefore it was unshakable. She knew she would receive glory with him. Now, this saying also says this. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Jesus says in Matthew 10 also, Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, what is this denying? If we deny Christ, he will deny us. That is, with your words, you deny that Christ is who he says he is, and that he has done, he hasn't done what he says he's done, and or you don't trust in that for yourself, that you're denying him, I don't believe it, I don't trust it. It can also be denying, them, denying him with your life. As Paul says in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, that is, they say it, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So this denial is a continual saying with your mouth or with your actions that you do not believe in Jesus. That you do not trust him for salvation. And this is, um, and the, so we might say, well, Peter denied Christ. But here's the thing. He did not continue in his denial. Rather, he turned to confess Christ. Christ gave him a, a chance and he turned to confess Christ as Lord. And so... This denial is an ongoing, perpetual denial. And if we do that to our death, Christ will deny us before the Father. But there is, there is hope because if we are faithless, he is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And if you think about that, that is so powerful. Because if we are faithless, that is, if we're not always obedient, always trusting, always doing what we ought, what's he going to do? Is he going to say, well, I'm sorry, you messed up, it's done? No, he is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Here's something God cannot do. He cannot deny himself. He is a truth-telling, promise-keeping God. And here... 
He says, I will do it. What is he faithful to do? Well, like I said, in Genesis 3.15, he promised to send a savior to redeem the whole world. And when Cain killed Abel, did that stop his plan? He goes, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe they're not worth saving. Maybe we should change our mind here. No, he was faithful to his word. When Moses broke the Ten Commandments or struck the rock twice, did, did God throw up his hands and say, ah, let's be done with them. Let's start over. Let's do something different. No, because God is faithful to his promise. He promised he would do it. He will do it. When David committed adultery, did that nullify God's promise that an heir, a son of David, would sit on the throne forever? No. When Israel committed adultery and rooted for the, the priest of Baal over Elijah, did God say, this is it, I'm done with these people, we're going to do something different? No. Why? Because God made a promise. He was going to send a Savior, and He was going to save a people. We live with that unshakable hope that, that no matter what we do, let me rephrase that, that if we are faithless, He is faithful. We don't trust in ourselves to say, God, you can be faithful today because I went to church. I listened to the sermon. I read your Bible. You can be faithful today. No. We turn to him even in our darkest hour because he is faithful. When I find that I am not loving, when I lust, when I put politics over Christ, and the many other ways I prove myself faithful, faithless, I turn to him because I know he is faithful. As John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Where's your hope? Is it in yourself? Is it in money to make life more easy? Is it in your health, your strength, your intelligence? Where? These are all shakable. These are all going to crumble. And when we, when we walk down the road of forgetting Christ, these are the things we begin to hope in. But I invite you this morning, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, to remember Jesus Christ, the promised son of David, who died and rose again. And I, and I urge you to hope in him. If you're not a Christian, that would be for the first time. And if you are a Christian, it's a day by day. Hope, hope, hope. Always, that hope is based on remembering Jesus Christ, promised son of David, risen from the dead. So as you go out this week and for the rest of your lives, remember Jesus Christ. He is the focus and center of Scripture. Let him be the focus and center of your life. For his word is unbound and cannot be stopped his mission is unstoppable. He will save a people. And he gives us, even when we fail, an unshakable hope in him. All because he died and rose again. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our only hope.
would you help us to remember you, to recall to mind you every day, to trust in you, in the little things, in the big things, for everything. For you came to redeem all of us. We thank you for that. For it is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.